Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Procurement is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. The Lisk Long Island Serial Killer podcast was shocked when the news broke of Rex Hewerman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Hewerman. Initially charged with three murders, Hewerman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo 4 case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the List podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Hewerman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest, the List podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes, and if you haven't already, please listen to seasons one and two of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is being sponsored by our friends over at the Deadbolt Mystery Society, who have an amazing monthly subscription box service that if you guys are fans of true crime and unsolved mysteries, you need to check out. I'm a huge fan of the Deadbolt Mystery Society, so I couldn't be happier to have them as our sponsor. Their boxes will have you playing the role of detective as you track down missing persons, crack the case on an unidentified body, or are hunting down a serial killer before it's too late. Right now, I'm knee-deep in solving their box simply titled Duel. This one has me tracking down a sinister group that calls themselves the Scourge, who are planning on having two of their members partake in a twisted contest that has them murdering six people. Inside the box are all sorts of clues and pieces of evidence, and one of the best things about these boxes are the QR codes you scan that show you additional videos, audio recordings, evidence, and photos. The reviews are in from people all around the world, and the Deadbolt Mystery Society has 4.9 out of 5 stars, according to over 260 independent reviews. Right now, they're offering 20% off your order when you use the code DEADBOLT20, So go to DeadboltMysterySociety.com and use the code DEADBOLT20 to get 20% off and become part of the Deadbolt Mystery Society today.
Top 4 Most Disturbing Killer Duos Serial killers sometimes come in pairs, and while most of the killer couples we've heard of are made up of romantic people like Bonnie and Clyde, some killer duos have also taken lives together as friends, sisters, cousins, co-workers, and even total strangers. Here are the top four most disturbing killer duos. Number four, John Duffy and David Mulcahy. Throughout history, it's hard to find serial rapists and murderers actually working together as partners in the way that John Duffy and David Mulcahy did. Also known as the Railway Rapists, this chilling story of twisted friendship started with a damaged childhood. Duffy was described by people that knew him as a loner growing up, and his small size and acne-ridden skin made him an easy target for bullies at school. By chance, he met Mulcahy at Haverstock Secondary School in London, and like him, Mulcahy was yet another disconnected schoolboy who often got picked on by the bigger boys. The two instantly became friends, and like two peas in a pod, both of them loved to do all sorts of things together, and by all sorts, this included tormenting and torturing helpless animals. And as the two grew up, so did their sadistic tendencies. Their brutal crimes began in Kilburn, North London, on July 1, 1982, when they attacked and brutally raped a 22-year-old woman. Then, over the next four years, more than 20 women suffered similar fates at the hands of what had become known as the Railway Rapists. As their moniker suggests, all of the victims were sexually attacked near various train stations in London and the surrounding area. The alarming cases prompted authorities to launch an in-depth investigation called Operation Heart. Operation Heart was considered the largest investigation done on UK soil since the Yorkshire Ripper investigation a few years back. Duffy and Mulcahy's first run-in with the law happened in July of 1985 when they were brought in by authorities for questioning over three rapes that occurred in one night. For unknown reasons, the two buddies managed to get off scot-free, though. It would seem like their lucky streak would continue, because in another instance, Duffy was apprehended again and placed in a lineup. However, the victim, still reeling from the assault, failed to identify him from the other suspects. Emboldened by this, the two carried on with their evil spree and even took it up a notch. Just a day before 1985 would come to a close, Duffy and Mulcahy attacked 19-year-old Allison Day. They repeatedly raped her, and then something must have snapped in their minds as they strangled the victim to death using a piece of rope. This was their first known kill, and as a result, police ramped up their search efforts. During this time, the public was not yet aware that there were actually two men carrying out the attacks. Then in the spring of 1986, they got another victim, Marty Tambozer. Tambozer was just 15 years old when she was raped, strangled, and then set on fire. A month later, Ann Locke, a 29-year-old local TV presenter, was abducted, raped, and murdered near Brookman's Park Railway Station in Hertfordshire. 
Without an end in sight, police really had to step up their game before more victims came. And so, with the help of psychologists, authorities developed an early type of offender profiling system. Basically, the strategy would link multiple crimes of the same nature and connect them to a specific offender. The profile made could then be used to predict the perpetrator's future actions, and as it turned out, all those fruitless arrests against Duffy weren't exactly meaningless. All that time, he along with the other suspects were already being profiled. On November 7th, Duffy, who was alone, was apprehended while stalking a woman in a park. With the evidence stacked against him, including the glaring details of his criminal profile, the police were finally able to nail him down for three charges of murder and seven for rape. In 1988, Duffy was convicted and given a minimum sentence of 30 years, which was later changed to life in prison. He waited nearly 10 years to tell the authorities about his friend's involvement, and Mulcahy protested his innocence, but evidence against him proved otherwise. Like Duffy, Mulcahy is currently serving multiple sentences for numerous crimes of rape and murder. Number 3. Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris For five months during 1979, two men terrified an entire state with their heinous acts. It began inside the California's men colony, which is a state prison located in San Luis Obispo County, California. Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris first met there and became close friends after Bittaker saved Norris from being attacked by fellow inmates on at least two occasions. Both shared a lengthy record of arrests for numerous reasons, but mostly they involved physical attacks, attempted murders, and, especially in Norris's case, multiple sexual attacks. Bittaker, who has an impressive IQ of 138, was deemed a classic sociopath based on his psychiatric evaluation. Norris, on the other hand, was diagnosed with a mental illness linked directly to his depraved sexual behaviors. While incarcerated, the two of them used to make plans about raping and killing local California girls. And when the two got out of jail, it didn't take long for them to act on them. In 1977, they bought a GMC cargo van and named it Murder Mac. They used the Mac to drive along the Pacific Coast Highway, stalking girls, and it was on June 24th of 1979 when the ex-cons claimed their first victim. Along Redondo Beach, Norris forced 16-year-old Cindy Schaefer to get into the van where he bound the girl's arms and legs. Bittaker then drove to a secluded mountain area where they raped her repeatedly. After that, Bittiger got a wire coat hanger and wound it around Cindy's neck. The wire was then tightened gradually using vice grip pliers, and when she inevitably died from the torture, they then wrapped the body up and dumped it in a nearby canyon. Less than a month after that, the two were at it again. This time they snatched 18-year-old Andrea Hall who they also found hitchhiking along Redondo Beach. Like the first, Norris bound her arms and legs and then taped the victim's mouth shut with duct tape before driving to a secluded place. There they raped Hall repeatedly, and this time Norris stabbed the girl in the head using an ice pick before strangling her to death. 
Over the next three months, four more girls would become victims of the killer duo. The last was 16-year-old Lynette Ledford, who, like the others, was raped, tortured, and killed. During her torture, they recorded her screams so they could have a memento of the occasion. Bittaker repeatedly beat her elbows with a sledgehammer, which would then make the victim yell in pain even more. They eventually strangled her to death with a wire hanger, The men then abandoned the body on a random lawn somewhere in Hermosa Beach. The media dubbed them the toolbox killers based on the fact that the torture and murder weapons they used were a variety of items usually found inside a toolbox. Authorities began staking out the Hermosa Beach area and noticed and surveilled the suspicious van for some time. Then in November of that same year, the pair was finally apprehended and they were convicted on several counts of rape, torture, kidnapping, and murder in 1981. Bittaker was initially given a death sentence, but died while awaiting execution in 2019. Norris, meanwhile, was spared with a life sentence after testifying against his friend. He eventually died of natural causes, though, inside the prison walls at the age of 72. Number 2 David Gore and Fred Waterfield. They say that blood is thicker than water, and while that often refers to the tight bond that families share, in the case of cousins David Gore and Fred Waterfield, it definitely isn't a good thing. 29-year-old Gore convinced 30-year-old Waterfield to kidnap two Vero Beach girls, Lynn Elliott, who was 17, and Regan Martin, who was 14, back in July of 1983. The two teenagers were hitchhiking along Wabasso Beach, Florida, when the killer cousins got their chance to take them. Gore, who was a former auxiliary deputy with the Indian County Sheriff's Office, was in possession of a handgun, and he used a pair of handcuffs on the girls. All four then drove to Gore's parents' house, located on the outskirts of Vero Beach. There, the two cousins raped the teens over several hours. After a while, Elliot was actually able to escape and made a run for it. She managed to get out of the house, and as she ran down the driveway, Gore shot the girl in the head. She went down but wasn't dead, so he shot her again at point-blank range. While this was going on, a teenage boy was riding his bike in the area and witnessed everything. In his testimony, he revealed that after shooting Elliot, Gore, who was still naked at the time, dragged the body and hid it inside the trunk of a car on the property. The boy quickly rode away from the scene and then went on to call 911. Police were able to make it in time to rescue Martin, who was still naked and hogtied in the attic of Gore's parents' house. After his arrest, Gore confessed to raping and killing five other women, three young girls, and two adults. The state of Florida sentenced Gore to die by lethal injection, of which the execution was carried out on April 12, 2012. Waterfield, meanwhile, was convicted of two murders, and he is currently serving two consecutive life sentences for those. Number 1. Gary and Thaddeus Lewingdon Another infamous tale of a bloody family affair comes from brothers Gary and Thaddeus Lewingdon. 
The two spent most of their time between 1977 and 1978 terrorizing central Ohio, committing a series of home invasions where some escalated into brutal murders. There are little to no records about the early years of the Lewingdon siblings. However, it is known that Thaddeus, the older one, was a technician at a steel drum company in Columbus, Ohio. Gary, meanwhile, had fought during the early period of the Vietnam War in the 1960s. After his tour, he returned home to live with his mother temporarily. But life after the service wasn't exactly lucrative for the war veteran, who had to settle for odd jobs here and there in order to get by. All the while, Thaddeus was also having troubles of his own. Riddled with financial problems coupled with marital woes, the two opted to commit a series of armed robberies that would often end in fatal shootings. Their reign of terror began on December 10, 1977, with the deaths of Joyce Vermillion, who was 37, and 33-year-old Karen Dodrell. Both were gunned down outside a cafe in Newark, Ohio. Recovered at the scene were several shell casings from a 22 caliber gun, but not much more evidence than that was found. Two months later, on February 12, 1978, three people were murdered inside their home in Franklin County. All the victims had been shot in the face at close range. More 22 caliber gun shell casings were also found by police, and so they knew they had a possible serial killer on their hands. Then two more separate shootings took place in central Ohio in April of 1978. By this time, the public had already become wary of the 22 caliber killer, though authorities couldn't exactly determine the number of suspects involved in the killing spree. Around May of that same year, a couple from Franklin County were found dead, riddled with gunshots to their heads. This was supposed to be the last murder the brothers planned to commit, but Gary seemed to still want more. So on December 4, 1978, 56-year-old Joseph and Nick was gunned down inside his own garage. Five days after that, Gary went shopping and mistakenly used Annex credit card, which was flagged down as being stolen. He was immediately arrested and brought into custody, From there, it didn't take long for him to confess as to what he and his brother had been up to for the past 24 months. On December 14, 1978, the brothers were charged with multiple murders and sentenced to several terms of life in prison. In total, the killers took the lives of 10 people, where Gary admitted to killing 8 of them and Thaddeus the other two. The brothers later died of natural causes, Thaddeus at age 52 from lung cancer, and Gary at 64 from a heart attack while incarcerated. So there were the top four most disturbing killer duos. The killers mentioned in this video took the phrase partners in crime quite literally and to an extremely aggressive degree. Whether friends, lovers, or family, sometimes even killers don't want to go it alone. If you enjoyed watching this video, then please remember to subscribe to our channel. We have new videos coming out every single week for you guys to check out. And check out our new podcast called Everytown, which is available wherever you listen to your podcasts and on this channel as well every Friday. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys soon.